0: You know we have
1: a black guy now working for us. We have a black guy now. Yeah, Doc. Yeah, you're not scared. Would you
2: believe it, Steve? No, I'm not.
1: You're not I scared like of him, it. though.
2: You're not gonna no, steal not him, dog. are you? Are you gonna steal our black guy too? Four <laughs> cheats in this motherfucking episode. youtubecom sisters This brother. Sister's brother. <laughs> <Seth's>
0: brother. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I remember when I wrote for the Ellen DeGeneres Show, which was interesting, we were in a, the morning meeting where we would sit and talk about like what we're going to do the monologue about that day. yeah And uh, Justin Timberlake came up and I made fun of his music, and she stopped and she went, "You know, I'm a fan of Justin Timberlake, right?" And I was like,." So you do you share this garage with your, with the people in the other half of your building, your other the other tenant?
1: This is all my crap.
2: So she doesn't get a garage.
1: She has the one right next to. It. Oh.
2: Yeah. So there's two garages. Yeah. Okay.
1: That would be pretty awkward if, like, halfway through the podcast, she's like, "I just I need to get some grains from the yeah <laughs> <laughs> the front half of the garage like." Sorry, I know you're podcasting, but uh, I left my son's tricycle in here real quick. Um, I'm just gonna grab that. Yeah, and uh,
2: he's crying because he doesn't have his tricycle. Yeah,
1: she's carrying him and everything, (laughs) and he's like, "Hi, meet my son." Like,
2: no, just we're recording. We're We're recording right now. We've talked about this. Talked about how many times do I have to tell you when I have a guest come over, you don't exist. This is Hollywood. This is a studio.
1: Built this out myself, Greg. Can you it's believe really,
2: it? Really, it's really something. It's great. <laughs> Thanks, man. You ever
1: do an interview and they say uh, they say that classic line: uh, "Is there anything off limits?" And then it gets your brain kind of thinking, like, "Hey, do I have anything that's off limits?" And then you say no, and then they're like, "So, uh, Greg, I heard that you punched a hooker in yeah. 1997. Right. Do you want
2: to tell me about that?" All right
1: you're like, uh, well, not really.
2: <laughs> I wish I could go back and scrub some of the stuff I've said. I don't know. I come from this world of like, you know, because I've been around longer than you, there wasn't the internet. And like, you know, when I was a comedian coming up, you were happy to get on TV. Local cable access was like the equivalent of Doing something like this back then, sure. which nobody saw. So you could fuck up, and you could say things that were embarrassing about punching a hooker, or you know, not being able to get an erection with a hooker, or not having the right change for a hooker, or I'm sensing a pattern here. Yeah, <laughs> and and it it wasn't a big deal, and now uh, and so I think I went into podcasts with the mentality of just say whatever yeah and that's haunted me. There's some stuff I wish I could take back,
1: well, that's what's like uh what's so crazy is like especially out of context, somebody can edit something where you're like that was that was a mid conversation when there was thirty yes. minutes of context right. before that, and you're right. making the highlights real right now.
2: right. You're making it sound like all I do is talk about prostitutes, but there's so many other things I talk about, right? I talk about massage parlors exactly. Cheating on my wife. Yeah. With prostitutes.
1: Yeah. There's a there's a whole wide array of things. Can you that- take
2: that out? Do you ever get that from a guest? They ask you to take something out? Oh yeah. How much fucking time does that add to your day? That adds a little chunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've I've only had you know, uh I I this was before I even knew that um that this was a uh, a gay term. I called somebody a, a queen on a podcast because they were asking for a lot of things. They were asking for water and all this stuff. I was like, okay, queen. Not realizing that my guest was gay.
2: Oh. And he's
1: like, you have to edit that out. I was really? Like, I was like, what? He's like, when you call me a queen, I go, you're kind of being a queen. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> kind of being a queen right now. But sure,
2: sure, sure. You're you really doubling it. down on this queen yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I
1: was like, yes, queen. <laughs> okay. uh. Yeah, but I was like, oh, I didn't even know that that was a, that, that was like a term. Yeah. I was just literally being like, you, you're you demanding a lot of like, ro- you have a lot of royal needs. Right. And then he's like,
2: no, I don't want to be called a queen on your podcast. I was like, sorry. All right. All good. It's like, you don't even know all the words. There's this book by Philip Roth. And by the way, I um, i brought you a book today <laughs> and we had a very awkward exchange because my friend is an author and he wrote this very important book about the CIA and uh, it's called Chaos. By Tom O'Neill and it's pretty thick and I saw your eyes kind of widen as I handed it to you and you started to look like somebody who'd been like a little kid who was given a plate of spinach and I was like here I bought you a book and, and then I go I go are you a reader and you went not really who the fuck is not a reader do you have dyslexia
1: and, ADD? And then, probably that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I have a, so, okay, maybe you can help with this. And then Greg loved my response after that. <laughs> I go, not really. And I go, I'll try.
0: I'll try! <laughs>
2: <laughs> but do uh, I get
1: points for honesty with you?
2: Totally, because, but it was, it's very LA. If you were in New York, nobody would ever admit they don't read. But in LA, people are just like, reading? I guess I get around to that on vacation once every two years <laughs> right, for three days.
1: Right. Is a beach involved? Yeah. 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 Okay. So here's my thing with reading for years that I've battled. When I start to read, I get really sleepy. Yeah. And I don't know what that is, but I have fought it for a very long time. If I'm really, really enthralled with a book, I can go chapter after chapter after chapter. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, mainly the 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 books that i read have been like a lot of like comedian biographies and stuff like uh-huh. that of of recent I, it's been a while since i've literally like just got a book that was a fiction you know a fictional book where i just like let me just sink into this yeah. this story yeah um so i don't know what that is like that i literally get so drained right away but i also we well, have a baby too right i do yeah. yeah,
2: I mean, there's not a lot of reading that goes on when you're in the infant stage. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. He's seven months old right now, yeah. so like I was, before the baby was born, I was really diligent about um, journaling every day. Oh, really? Like since I moved out to LA in 2009. Uh-huh. So I would do like daily entries and stuff, and I've been having to, I've fallen behind on journaling because I literally like between stand-up and
2: just podcasting. You know who else fell behind in her journaling? mm and frank yeah it just suddenly fell off completely i i think did she have a baby she had a baby <laughs> she had yes, a baby right? which was tough because in the attic try keeping a fucking baby quiet in the attic <clears throat> you know not a good mix in the no. attic no 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 ix-nay
1: no ixnay
2: on the wow. Uh-uh. Hey, nazis you... <laughs> or yeah
1: yeah I'm trying so. to not be seen right now. <laughs> Yikes! Ooh, is this thing on? Ooh! <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I. Uh, so, yeah, what would you write in your me...
2: journal? Was it deep thoughts, or was it so, sometimes more like actually. what you did that day? It's, it's a mixture. Um
1: yeah. When the reason why I don't like to get behind on journaling is because you lose where you were at that day then it becomes a list of i did this and then i did this and then i did this when i'm really journaling and it's i've looked back on passages where it's the most interesting it's where i was at mentally that day Mm -hmm. like i had a really hard day today because of this or i'm feeling this way about my career or relationships or I'm scared about this baby that's about to... You know what I mean? Yeah. All that's the interesting stuff. right? When I'm like, ah, so I did a weekend and blah, blah, and I'm just kind of cliff noting it. It's yeah. kind of like, who would want to read that?
2: Right, it's like a day planner. It's yeah. like a
1: day planner. It's more of like, I mean, it's a good recollection of like, just in case I get... You know, audited or uh-huh. or questioned for a murder. Like I was yeah. here at this time. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote it in my journal. Right. But other than that, like-, like
2: I remember, I've been questioned a number of times, which is so weird, by the police. Like most people aren't interviewed that many times by the police, but often, and it's always related to like hookers that disappear right. in towns I'm working, uh-huh. and I. I'm doing stand-up. I don't even drink. My name's on the marquee. And my name's on the marquee. Do you see that picture? That's that the, that guy. That's me right there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I flew in from Los Angeles, from Hollywood. Yeah. To do stand-up, not to interact with hookers. I'm not interacting with hookers. No. Come on. So anyway, um, so I'd love to read your journal at some point. Oh, Okay. You read this book, Chaos, by Tom O'Neill, and I'll read your journal. And let's see who falls asleep first.
1: Well, I'll tell you which one is going to be more (laughs) well-written. The hint is not my
2: journal. (laughs) Who knows? It could be, you know, look, some of the great writers were not we 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 trade,
1: and I look over. You're just weeping, reading <laughs> yeah, yeah. reading my handwritten yeah, journal. Right.
2: He went to a Fuddruckers. Yeah, a Fuddruckers. <laughs> you mean I'm crying out of frustration or out of like it's actually? It's like it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's beautiful. There's something so American about Jeremiah. There's something so real about him. He goes to Fuddruckers. Yeah. He's a man of the people. Yeah. Yeah you are a man of the people where are you from originally i'm from kansas yeah you're a man of the people you're from portland right i'm from portland Mm -hmm. maine portland maine yeah Mm -hmm. no i'm from uh born in the bronx i know i know lived there for six years
1: then tarrytown new york has anybody ever been like you seem like a west coast guy (laughs) i guess not right No, no, no 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 yeah 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 you yeah you got you got strong east coast vibes yeah you're actually and this is a compliment you are when somebody asks me to picture what a stand-up comedian is like you come to mind
2: really Mm -hmm. oh i guess that's high praise right
1: it's a compliment because the the reason why i associate you with uh with what the archetype of a stand-up is is every time i've done shows with you or or we've crossed paths al- along the way like at the comedy store whatever different clubs you have jokes that you're always working on mm. and you are studying them before you go on stage and then you're testing material out constantly and that's what i think comedians should be doing so i that's why i kind of associate you with that like that's what a stand-up is supposed to be doing if that makes sense
2: well yeah i mean uh i think it's that or it's been the same piece of paper for the last 31 <laughs> years and i just pull it out as a prop before i go on it could be that too i mean i i'm not gonna lie to you there I, there have been pieces of paper in my pocket that have not changed a lot for a couple months. It's like that the same ideas are not really uh, there's times where it just doesn't come. You know, I'll write down ideas and then I'll 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 try one or two of them out and then they don't go well and I just chicken out and I do old shit and then yeah. there's times where you're in a zone where you just go on stage and you feel like whatever you say is valid and worth talking about and It is, I mean, I guess all artists go through periods of ebb and flow, but when it ain't flowing, man, it is the worst feeling, especially because I live in Venice, to drive all the way to sunset on a fucking Thursday night, drive. you know. For people who don't live here,
1: it's at least like a 40 minute to 50 minute drive from Venice to- Well, it's not that
2: bad. Not that bad? But it's far enough that you're only making $20. 35 minutes, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. For $20 and you uh-huh. really think like I did all, I could be warm on the couch with my wife who has nice tits and- Shout
1: out to Mrs. Fitzsimmons. Mrs. Fitz, what's up? M- Mrs. Fitz dog. What Mrs. up girl?
2: Yeah. Fitz- Hon- Hong Kong, <laughs> Mrs. Fitzsimmons. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and I and could that's be there I, and instead I'm fucking doing old shit for $20. I never got the vibe from Jeremiah that he wasn't a reader. Hong oh, <laughs> Kong. <laughs> Mrs. <Finn's> dog. <laughs> Never. I handed him the book, I and mean, it
2: genuinely shocked me. I'm going to check in on you once a week. Every time I see you, which is probably once a week, I see you about once a week. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you how many pa- what page you're on, and every time you read, I want you to take a picture of the page that you finished on, and you're gonna have to show it to me.
1: Uh, I'm gonna start posting it to Instagram. Yeah. My accountability. My social media accountability. Today, I read a page.
2: That's going to be your journal. Yeah. You writing about Tom O'Neill's book.
1: Yeah. I mean, you told me the premise, and I was blown away.
2: Tell me the premise. Okay. Let's see how much of it you maintained. All right. Retained.
1: In the 60s, uh, Charles Manson uh, basically was set up by the feds. To, and he was dosed by LSD to uh, basically uh, distract from the civil rights movement with all the murders. So all of the murders were technically planned by the U.S. government. And his buddy, over the last 20 years, he spent writing this book.
2: You kind of nailed it. You nailed it. Now I think you're going to read the book. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I told you. Well, it cover, It checks so many boxes. You got conspiracy theory. You got the CIA. You got drugs. You got the 60s. You got Manson. You got murder. It's all in there. And I
1: already told you that I like
2: biographical stuff. Yeah.
1: So this will probably tickle my fancy. Right. Did you like um, Tarantino's? Did you see his... Uh, the yeah, recent... I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was... Uh... I like I like how he changes the endings of his movies to what you want to have happened. Yes. Yeah. You know, and Tarantino is a huge fan of this book and reached out to Tom and uh, did asked did some of the research for his movie with Tom. Mm. And then when Tarantino went on Joe Rogan's show, he and Joe talked about the book for quite a while. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, I I've seen. Tarantino a couple times in person. Have and you really? Once he was watching in the back of the OR.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. He was just there and uh I guess he uh he really liked uh Jamar Neighbors that night because he was just so crass and just like didn't care like you know just was going for it with yeah. like you know his material. Really? And uh, one time I saw him at a restaurant and i was a guy that pro i did the i approached him but in a very respectful Wally way while he was eating he was eating wow yeah because i was like i don't know i was like who knows i'd love to obviously we'd all love to work with him deadline but i was like i don't know the next time i'm going to see this guy yeah i um invited him to the comedy store i was like if you ever want to come on a monday night uh i invited him to kill tony back in the day really yeah and what was his response he was with two women who I think the vibe that I got was they were casting people. Okay. They were, the way they are like, I was eavesdropping for just a second, and then I was like... Could you tell
2: by the way they looked at your headshot whether or not they were casting people? <laughs> by the way, they said, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> they pulled out a shredder out of their yeah. purse.
1: <laughs> so you guys are welcome to the comedy store. But yeah, I, uh, I said... Um, I invited him to uh, the comedy store, and I said, "Hey, we do the show every every Monday night," and kind of explain the show to him. And I said, "I'd love for any of you to come um, be on my guest list anytime you'd like to come." And and he's like, "That's very nice. Thank you so much." And uh, and I was like, "Yeah," I, uh, didn't want to interrupt. My apologies, but uh, have a great night. Like I was just, I got in and out as fast as possible. Uh-huh. Did my pitch, and I was nice. I was out. But um, it was weird because at the Thai restaurant that that we were at there's posters of him everywhere oh so i don't know if he casually just stumbled upon the place or if he goes there but they were like literally there's a poster of of like pulp fiction in the restaurant and then also a tarantino movie happened to be playing while he was there
2: that's weird yeah i wonder if he's a co-owner of it or something
1: because you know, know bob dylan
2: has a coffee shop in santa monica really and when you go in He's got this great radio show that he does called the Bob Dylan uh, Radio Hour. Okay. And it, it plays on. Um, I don't know what channel it plays on. I know they rerun it on Sirius, but yeah, it's amazing. It's just him playing. It'll be like a John Lee Hooker B side, and then it'll be like uh, something from the soundtrack of a spaghetti western, and then it'll be uh, a, you know a, a Woody Guthrie song, and then it'll be like. Fucking Metallica. It'll be like it's totally eclectic, weird, and and they play it at the coffee shop when you go there. And you're always when you walk into the place, you always are like, "What is this song?" It's always amazing music. Wow. And is he it, comes is it in a lot sometimes. of deep
1: cuts, or is it or is it just whatever? It's a combination. That he likes. It's yeah. a combination. You okay. know, because he
2: likes pop music, so he'll have like I'm, a Motown song on or something. I
1: love that when artists that you wouldn't expect to like certain things or like, oh yeah, I just, I don't do that. So yeah, I like it. He
2: had this autobiography that he wrote. uh, What was it called? Um, I forget what it was called, but he devoted like a chapter to the Charlie Daniels band. He (laughs) loves the Charlie Daniels band. Like what? Yeah. (laughs) You're Bob Dylan.
1: It's weird. I mean, yeah. Uh, There's, I was watching some music documentary and uh, it was, uh, I think it was the, the Jimmy Iovine uh, documentary about Dr. Dre and, and yeah. different stuff like that. And there's this great interview uh, with Eminem in it where uh, he's at a party at like the height of like Slim Shady and all that stuff uh, when that was just dropping around that time whenever it was, he like was going from Marshall Mathers to, to Slim Shady and all that stuff. And um, uh, Marilyn Manson walks up to him at a party and he goes um she uh is is she now yeah okay they uh (laughs) that's a good coverage (laughs) they yeah uh (laughs) it's a good blanket and
2: y'all walk up to him
1: yeah and now i'm this actually the story is better because this is justin timberlake interview it's not it's not an eminem interview (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really butchered this story but anyway Justin Timberlake uh is being interviewed and Marilyn Manson approaches him at the height of Crimea River and uh and like when he just broke off from NSYNC yeah and Marilyn Manson they go I really um like your music don't tell anybody we had this conversation <laughs>
2: <laughs> like full-on makeup the whole thing oh, like that's great. wait a minute so did you start that story thinking it was eminem and then you remembered and it was justin well, and timberlake I
1: was like, that's not that crazy of a uh, you know what i mean and then i was like oh it's justin timberlake oh. yeah
2: yeah right yeah i remember when i wrote for the ellen DeGeneres show which was interesting we were in a, the morning meeting where we would sit and talk about like what we are going to do the monologue about that day. Yeah. And uh, Justin Timberlake came up, and I made fun of his music, and she stopped, and she went, you know I'm a fan of Justin Timberlake, right? And I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was only one opinion allowed in the room. And I, she was like, yeah, there is. I was like, okay. Oh... All right. Check, please. Yeah, no doubt. Do you validate parking? Because. River.
1: <laughs> she starts playing it, just yeah. like looking at yeah, you. Yeah,
2: right. Dude. Makes me dance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to do it. Your feet are <laughs> bleeding <laughs> and you're doing like the in sync dance and stuff.
0: She's like, keep dancing.
1: I mean, that, yeah, that had been wild writing for that show. I'm sure a lot of people have asked since all of this stuff has come out about Ellen. like you've worked on the show. Mm. Like that's got to be, I mean, yeah, crazy experience.
0: Mm. Mm. Uh,
1: It's always interesting to me when I hear on the road, and I'm obviously not going to drop names, but I will ask occasionally uh, if I'm getting along with the staff, which I try to most (laughs) of the time with the clubs. uh, But I'm like, did you have anybody difficult recently? Just curious. Yeah and and they always have some names that yeah. are that some are really surprising yeah that you're like huh i know that person pretty well yeah and uh it's interesting to hear that they're uh their green room etiquette mm-hmm. is not the best
2: yeah there's well you know the store has been plagued with a lot of uh poorly behaved comedians over what and one of them would always come up when i when i'd ask that question yeah his name would come up every fucking time really yeah Hmm. yeah
1: juicy deets you won't get them here
2: (laughs) (laughs) welcome to no names the podcast where
1: we how how annoying of a podcast would that be was if it's two guys every week be like we've got some dirt yeah you they never reveal the they name never reveal. By, <laughs> by the end of it no
2: there's a premium membership patreon you gotta pay you gotta pay patreon to mm-hmm. find out who it was yeah to find out that it was in fact
1: for the coffee lover on your list there's no better way to say happy holidays than with bean box Beanbox connects coffee lovers to some of the world's best specialty coffees with expertly curated tasting flights, perfect for gifting. Ever since this got delivered, my wife has not shut up about Beanbox. Oh, I love Beanbox this. I love Beanbox that. I'm like, do you still find me attractive? She goes, I love box. But it's Beanbox, and yes, I still love you. (laughs) Every order is roasted fresh and delivered at peak flavor. Beanbox sources all their coffee from some of the best artisan roasters in the US, so you support small roasters with every sip. And each Beanbox comes with tasting notes and brewing tips too. Oh, how fun is that? When I first heard Beanbox, I said, is that a Colombian girl's (sighs) But I digress. With coffee sampler, gift subscriptions, and biscotti or chocolate tasting boxes, there's a box for everybody. Seriously, a box for everybody, you simps out there. <laughs> Give the coffee fanatic in your life an unforgettable coffee lasting experience with Beanbox. Order today at beanbox.com jeremiah and get 20% off your purchases of $40 or more. That's 20% off purchases of $40 or more with promo code jeremiah at beanbox.com slash jeremiah. Beanbox, sipping in the morning. Oh, look at this. Love it, first sip. Just the tip with Beanbox. For the coffee lover on your list, there's no better way to say happy holidays than with Beanbox. You know. You know who it is. You know exactly who that is. I think we all now think know, we know we all who it is. Know who that was. And you audio listeners will have to tune in on video. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you do patreon for your show uh
1: not for this one for jeremiah wonders but we do one for uh my podcast scissor bros because we do a lot of um we do a lot of extra content oh on wow show. yeah yeah we do um we do these um we'll do like po unboxings and we'll do uh like when we go to do gigs uh we'll do podcasts in the car that are like 30 40 minute who's like, we uh me and steve lee oh. stevie Weeby. oh yeah
2: yeah right. yeah so you guys always go on the road together.
1: More recently, uh, we've just been going to uh, some spots. He hasn't done stand up in like 7 years, so he's started to do like some guest spots on my show. He'll literally do like a 5 minute guest spot. Uh-huh. Cuz he he knows how hard it is to do stand up. He's like, "Dude, I'm not trying to feature anything." Right. He's like, "I just want he's like, I'd love to just do a guest spot with you here and there." I'm like, "Yeah, dude." So like, he'll he'll drive with you or fly with you. We're, we're like I'm doing Tempe. Uh, this weekend and uh, rather than fly out there uh, his mom lives out there and I was like what if you come with me like we drive and you see your mom and we'll film some stuff on the way and then do some guest spots with me he's like
2: alright I love it so I like, love your life
1: so like when that's yeah.
2: how you do it man yeah. yeah yeah make it fun
1: exactly I mean that's uh, my favorite thing uh, From me I've been very blessed to be a part of some unique ensemble comedy shows over the year, which yeah. is kind of rare in stand-up. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's it's such a treat when you run into a buddy on the road, like when you're both in the same city. You're like, you want to grab dinner? Mm-hmm. We never do in LA, yeah. but let's do it here. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, it's, a fun, it's just a fun thing. So, like, if I have an excuse to be able to travel with a friend, I'll take it every single time. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm more of a depressed hermit on the road. Are you? Do you yeah. Do you shell up? Yeah, I shell up. Now,
1: are you the kind of comic who stays in their room the entire time? Or will you force yourself to go out and do any kind of stuff like during the day? In the room. What if you've been to the city four or five times already?
2: Even less reason to go see it. <laughs> Seen it.
1: Here, here's what a, a rule that I've made for myself. If I have already been there once and I didn't do Jack the first time. Yeah. I'll force myself to go out on the Saturday during the day to just check out something.
2: What do you get? Like the pamphlets at the front desk and go, oh. go on a water flume? No, I don't go to water flume. You go apple picking? No, I don't go apple
1: picking. I went to a cemetery one time though.
2: <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs>
1: why a cemetery <laughs> okay so i was in lexington kentucky oh sure going and, there in january right so uh i asked around and i was like what are the hot spots in lexington kentucky and they were like other than covid let me tell you uh they said the lexington cemetery because there's a lot of civil war history there battle of lexington fought there and uh then they said that there is a christian Putt putt course. Oh. And I said, I will go to both in one day. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a buddy who was uh visiting from Nashville, who's doing guest spots on uh my shows that weekend in Kentucky. He drove us to this cemetery and uh Jim Varney, who I'm a fan of, uh was buried at that Lexington Cemetery and we visited Ernest's
2: grave oh no kidding
1: yeah he's like literally their famous person from lexington
2: yeah i mean there's also you know it's where all the horse uh breeding and training goes on is so, lexington so
1: the last time uh i went there uh just recently about a year apart from the time i went to the cemetery somebody goes do you want to go to the keeneland racetrack i go how do we how do we do that They're yeah. like, i know a security guard there we can go i was like uh yeah. I've never been to a racetrack before and it was exciting. Yeah,
2: it is exciting.
1: Like I didn't even have have any money in the in, in the game at all, but I was like, this is just the inner you know, it's just it's live. It's that live energy yeah. that we love.
2: Yeah. And it's like spread out like every twelve minutes there's another race. Yeah. Good food. Winners, there. losers, decent food, good people watching, and the and the horses are just gorgeous if you get up close.
1: Yeah and the jockeys are even smaller than you'd think. Yeah. Even smaller. You're right. like, "Oh, those are little guys." Those guys are tiny Yeah. and they're all millionaires. Right. Oh, are they? They're very wealthy if, oh, if they do well. If they right. do well, I looked at um the the winnings chart and it showed the pool of money of the top guys. Yeah. And it was like all of them were in the millions of like the top 10. I mean, you have to be in the top 10 obviously, yeah. but it was they're doing real well. Nice. Yeah. So if you know,
2: if we ever for whatever
1: reason wanna start
2: if you had the choice mm-hmm. to be that small but be worth, say, ten to twenty million dollars. Yeah. Would you take it? And you're how tall? I'm six three. Would you go from six three to five foot two? Is that about how big they are? About five foot two? Yeah. Would you go to five foot two for $10 million? I wouldn't. You wouldn't? No. Really? No.
1: I'll make my money eventually.
2: (laughs) But 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 I'll never grow. (laughs) That's how I feel. (laughs) All right, what about this? They got to
1: live looking up like this for everything. They got to ask for assistance at the grocery store to get things off the shelf. Yeah. I mean, that's... Five two is you know. Shout out to my five two listeners out there. I'm not shaming. This is a hypothetical situation yeah. that I would not take ten million dollars <laughs> to be five two. All
2: right. Would you take ten million dollars to be five five?
1: Ooh.
2: I'm five eight.
1: You know, I might take that because that's at least around working actor level. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I mean, Tom
2: Cruise is only, what, five, six and a half?
1: Yeah, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. My mom is five, five. Yeah. I'd finally get to look at my mom eye to eye. Yeah, that'd be nice. Right. I think about that often. You yeah. Know? Like, how, how do I look at my mom <laughs> right in the eye? I stir at night when I yeah. go to sleep. All yeah, right. <sighs> mom, it's so weird to look down on you. I'm tired of looking at the top of your head. No, I just, just I did not want to connect with you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play pool with you sometime.
2: Oh, all right, I'll do that. I'm playing pool with Adam Ferrara
1: tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Um, I have heard you're very good.
2: I'm not bad. Yeah. I, I feel like anything I'm decent at in life, I feel like I should be much better at it considering how much I've done it in my life.
1: For a, this is what I always say when people ask me uh, skill levels at certain things. Yeah. They'll be like, Oh, you play basketball? Yeah, you good at basketball? I'm like, I always, with the things that I think I'm, I'm good at, I'm like, I'm good for a comic. Right. I'm not good. Like, random Joe who pulls up, like, at a bar, like, they're going to clean my clock. Yeah. I literally had this uh, stripper who owned me recently at pool. who uh, we had, um, it was a very chill bar where there's a table, nobody was around like we weren't putting quarters or anything on the table because like we had it you know what i mean yeah. Like there was not really any point like it was a very slow bar this stripper comes in off the street with her entourage and she literally slams quarters down on the table and she's like i got next i was like i was like we kind of like we're just kind of playing like yeah like there was nobody here yeah. we're not really doing that she goes you have to she got like violent with me yeah, she's like, yeah. you have to do it i put my quarters on the table i'm yeah. like I literally, as soon as she did that, I'm like, she just took the fun out of it for me. I'm gonna uh-huh. eat it, and then I, I, she freaking whooped me. Yeah, and she started twerking when she beat me. She did. Yeah. She That's literally awesome. started like, yeah, and all like her crew was like, yeah, girl, get uh- it, <laughs> and I'm just like standing there like, congratulations, I guess. I was so, but like I'm still competitive, uh, yeah. so I was so pissed, even though I knew I was just kind of like. Half phoning it in, half like whatever. But still, the competitive side of me was like, I can't play this
2: stripper just beat me. Well, pool's a very mental game. It really is. And when somebody intimidates you, it's she very got me. hard. Yeah, she got me. She intimidated you, and it's very hard to beat somebody who intimidates you in pool. But um, you know, I remember like through college because we had a table in in my basement growing up, so I was good yeah. just from playing a lot. And then when I went to college. You played for a beer. And so I could drink free all fucking night. Yep. If yep. I just kept running the table. Right.
1: So that's good incentive.
2: Yeah. So right. I would focus. And I, but I always stayed short of like, I never wanted to be the intense guy at the shitty bar table. That's such a douchey what guy to be. What life were you
1: li- living at that point?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would stay cool, but I'd still try to win.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's how I, I usually am. The thing with me though, that I shut down immediately, which this will happen after shows sometimes, is people from a show will sometimes naturally, if there's a bar that's close with a table, I'll go to play there after after the pool, after the show, and um, people from the show will sometimes wanna be funny and commentate on the game, oh. and I literally will be like, this is not happening. right? What you're doing right now I despise. Yeah. I like, I'm super blunt. I'm like, I'm coming here to like, just have fun. I don't want to hear you go, "Oh, every time I miss a shot, mm-hmm. this, you're making it not fun for right. me. Right. If you want to hang out, like we can just hang out and chill and talk, but like, we're not doing that. Yeah. Like that.
2: One of the hardest things about being a comedian is people's expectation that you're going to be funny and that they should be funny. And it's like, it's a, it's a skill to disarm people and let them know, like, like sometimes I'll play in these charity golf tournaments because I like to play golf as you Mm -hmm. can tell by the way I'm dressed I just came from the course and uh,
1: you know he has cleats on uh... I have cleats on my feet Um, (laughs) off off screen
2: and uh, I'll play in these charity tournaments where they'll put a comedian with a foursome and then you play with them. Right. And then they kind of expect you to be entertaining. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're going to play golf. Yeah. And we're all going to have fun and I'm going to be no funnier than you. Mm-hmm. And if you expect me to be, I'm fucking walking off the course right now. Yeah. And then once in a while, somebody will say something like, I'm, I'm, I'm funnier than this guy. And it's like, yeah, but I'm a better golfer than you that's what I was going on. We're on a golf course, right? Right. Isn't that what we should be basing this on right now is golf skills. Yeah. If we go to a stage, I guarantee I'll be funnier than you. I'm better at having sex with your wife than you are, but we're not doing that right now. Hey, Hey. Yeah. Yeah. So it is hard when I feel that pressure. And I think it's one of the things that it's the only thing that's ever made me want to not be a comedian was going through my life with this kind of stigma attached that I'm funny because it makes being funny not fun.
1: Sure. W- when you would go back home, did you have to face that with with family ever where there are certain expectations like, this is our comedian son or this is our comedian brother, or, you know what I mean?
2: I think I faced it in my family to begin with when I was a child. It was like a there was a uh, kind of an impetus to be funny at the kitchen table. Uh. So I very much was the favorite child in my family because I was the funniest one. And that made me, I was a small kid, I was skinny. And so I was intimidated by the other boys. Mm-hmm. So I would make them laugh and sure. that got me accepted. So I think comedy has always been a way for me to get acceptance. And so I, res- as I got older and I started doing it professionally, I think I'm way less funny off stage than I used to be unless I'm with really good friends. That makes
1: sense. Well. Sometimes when I visit home, uh, my mom's friends will know I'm the comedian's son yeah. that lives in LA who's visiting Kansas. Yeah. And so many times when I went back home, uh, I would hear them say, Jeremiah's a lot more quiet than I yeah. thought he'd be. And I'm right. like, I came here to relax. Yeah. I came here to chill out and turn off the Hollywood stuff. Yeah. I don't want to be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know, doing the monkey dance. Right. Like... But, you know, I've had to turn it on every once in a while, like, to appease. I think we all have to. Yeah. Like, around family.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of an old school thing of, like, especially when I meet people from my parents' generation, they really expect it because the comedians in their day—and my father was in entertainment, you know? He was in radio, and so, like, I grew up around comedians. I grew up around Henny Youngman and Milton Berle and, like, guy, because I used to go to the Friars Club every week as a kid. And so I was around, you know, Freddie Roman and Mousy Lawrence and all these guys, and they were on all the time. Yeah. And they were truly funny. And I really think they saw it as part of their job was to be funny stage as on well. all the time. And then our generation came, my generation, because you and I are a different generation, came along and kind of went, nah, I'm not really doing that. I mean, I think it's like watching Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. You you saw that this guy, this Seinfeld guy is different than, you know, the comedians that were portrayed of a previous generation. Sure. This is a guy who comedy is his day job and, and w- which happens at night. And when he's not doing it, he's just the same as George and Kramer and everybody else. He, they, they, they were always on the same level. Even playing field across the board.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Kramer a lot of times and Newman, all those guys would, would be funnier, of right. course, than, than Jerry. Right. I mean, he's just kind of like the, the the guy. He's us, you know. Yeah. Seinfeld reviews. <laughs> the pod very topical. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld yeah, right. is us the viewers. He's That's just, not a, Did you guys ever put that together? Yeah. I wrote about that in my journal once.
2: can't wait to read that chapter i know it's
1: a it's a thick one yeah yeah uh it's got to be kind of i mean as a as a comic uh i think we all have some kind of full circle moments every once in a while where you are like that's kind of cool how that shaped out to be it's got to be and i'm sure you've thought a lot about this but like being a kid being around the friars club and then working closely with the roast like down the line and stuff like that that's got to be pretty cool like kid greg to adult grade to be like ah, oh, now i'm you know what i mean
2: yeah you know what's funny is like i grew up around it and then when i was in new york i used to uh go to the friars club during the day mm-hmm. and jeff ross came along and i introduced him as a member and i, I had been a member since i was uh, I went to acting school in New York. I went to college in Boston and I did stand-up and then I moved to New York to do stand-up but then I went to acting school for two years Yeah. and that time I spent a lot of time at the Friars Club and I saw guys come along my age that started doing the roast like Jeff Ross who I brought in as a member mm-hmm. and I was I was jealous and so by the time they finally asked me to do a roast... I was actually resentful because I was so fucking competitive back then. I wanted it so bad, and I thought I deserved it. And you know, I'm a very different person than I was back then. And uh, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have. I wasn't in the moment of putting it in that perspective. I was just more like, "It's about fucking time," you know.
1: I deserve this. I put. Yeah. I paid my dues. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah.
2: And I wish and I'm I, gonna
1: kill.
2: And I wish I wasn't like that as much back then. I wish I'd been a little bit more like. Things are going to happen, like you, when I just asked if you would be a midget for money. And you said, I'm going to get that money anyway. You believe you're going to make $10 million, don't you? Oh, not a doubt in my mind. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Not a doubt in my mind.
2: That's the spirit. Yeah. And how do you think you'll make it? Acting? Stand-up? Um, All of it. Journaling?
1: The journal, you know, I do have plans for these journals. Yeah. I've been, I've been, because I've had it for so long, some of my favorite books, one of my, one of my favorite books is um, uh, written actually by, uh, co-written by the uh, the Farley brothers and uh, I forget the other author's name, a good, good friend of his. It's called The Chris Farley Show. Uh-huh. And the way it's broken up is it's one of the easiest reads that you just fly through because it's interesting and just, uh, you, you know when the page just looks kind of dense sometimes you're like okay this is here we go or maybe that's just a jeremiah problem
0: <laughs> sounds like it
2: no i've never felt like that no i've never looked at a page of words and been completely overwhelmed that's a main problem <laughs> i just always looked at them as like i'll read one and then i'll read the next and oh, then we'll be done with that
1: page i think uh, i think some anxiety kicks in <laughs> I, I look uh, at it sometimes, and I'm like, oh, "That's a yeah, that's a beefy, uh, <laughs> that's a that's a beefy group of words. There's not so. a
2: single photo in there. Huh.
1: There's not a. There's not a. Uh, there's no nothing for. There's no smell. So there's no. A, there's nothing. Um, it's a tight font. That's not even a. What is that? A serif? Yeah.
2: That's
1: a that's a one. Just is that even a paragraph? Yeah. It doesn't even look like it's broken up. There's no indentation yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it's not a
2: little swirly thing in between the paragraphs yeah there's not any um
1: you know notes from the author in between uh like a guide right no stickers (laughs) (laughs) okay i guess we're reading this um yeah so the way that this is formatted is basically it's a collection of part biographical uh storytelling and then it's a bunch of interviews of people who knew him personally okay so the way it's formatted is just they'll be talking and painting this awesome picture and then they have four or five interviews to back up what this other entity is talking about right just to kind of reinforce it so it's it's just it's so it reads almost like a movie Uh uh-huh yeah so i want to do that with my journal someday i want to write a comedy biography in some sense when i have the right amount of years of journaling right. where it's interesting right you know? right it'd have to be pretty far down the line but i'm just going to try to keep doing it good up to the point why not
2: yeah keep journaling man i did it for many years and i kind of i kind of stopped for a while i started again during the pandemic i did it for like six months during the pandemic and it's, then i it's stopped very again stress relieving yeah it really is And Because the thing I notice is that it lets you see how many of your thoughts are a cycle that you keep having again and again. Yeah. When you've written something for the fifth time, you go, okay, you've covered that. You can move on from that thought. I
1: have looked back at some of the passages. I was very early on in my comedy career, and I'm still early in the grand scheme of things. But when I just moved to LA around 2009... Um, to the, those first couple of years of just really struggling and really trying to, to carve any kind of path. And you see a psychosis of like, why you know, why isn't it like I'm trying I'm doing you know, I'm yeah. doing all these things and then you read enough, you're like, D- this version of me needs to take a chill pill yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, but it gives you good context for the future. like if you start to stir on things like, this isn't happening for me right now. I'm like, dude, this is exactly where you were. 10 or so years ago. Yeah. You just need to chill and like enjoy what's happening right. and make the most of it. Otherwise, Otherwise you always be like Fitzsimmons, for- And
2: you'll have missed that fucking joy at that roast that you did. And he killed. I did okay. I did the Chevy Chase roast. Yeah. And, uh, and I just saw Chevy Chase at the store and we talked about it because, you know, his daughter works at the store. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. I had no idea. She, I mean, I
1: knew her. I always liked her. She plays keys occasionally at the store.
2: Yes. Yeah. And uh, and she was very kind. She was like really nice, introducing me to him, and said really nice things about me. And then I talked about how I'd roasted him, and he told me that he really didn't enjoy it. He said he uh, he he his friends didn't show up for him to roast him. And so he didn't know us. It was like a bunch of people he didn't know. Was Stephen Colbert did it. Uh, Al Franken did it. Jeff Ross. Mm-hmm. Todd Barry. Lisa Lampanelli. And he was like, who are these people? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't I mean, know these people.
1: Al Franken would be the closest, even remotely closest person to him in, right. in his camp. Right. So, yeah, I can see why. Yeah, you show up and then you're being made fun of by people who you don't really know like that.
2: Yeah. That's not a fun and thing. And they come hard. They, like,
1: well, everybody's trying to make their mark and yeah. make their stamp, So right. like they're going for the jugular and he's like, mm-hmm. dude, I don't even know you guys like that. Yeah. You're talking right. about some skeletons in my closet that I don't really want to talk about. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's a rough one.
2: Yeah. It's a payday. Yep. You know. He said he did it for his wife's charity. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's what he told me the other night. That's nice. So, yeah. So you said you went to
1: acting school. I did. When was the last time you put on a wig? I don't think I've ever put on a wig. Would you like to change that right now? Yeah, I'll put on a wig. Underneath your table is a wig.
2: (laughs) Is this just for your guests that are that are follicle challenge or is this for everybody?
1: Everybody. Everybody. Everybody does a wig segment. I'm gonna put on one as well. So who is this person that I'm talking to right now?
2: Um,
1: is it is it uh, a girl, a guy? A it's they? definitely
2: a girl. I definitely feel yeah. like a girl, you feel right, a girl now. right now. Girl right now. Yeah, like when I didn't until I did this. And then you did this. Until I moved the hair out of the way, and I suddenly went like, "Oh my god, it's the '70s!" Right. And I'm just coming into my womanhood. I'm okay. feeling the power of my womanhood. Okay. With this. Okay. Great. And I feel it cascading down my shoulders. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're looking at me different than you were a minute ago.
1: I am. I'm getting. I'm. I'm starting to go into character. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. I'm bringing it. Um.
1: Uh, hey, uh, Samantha? Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, I know that uh, you've been, like, protesting
2: and stuff a lot lately. Well, there's a lot of things I want to say. Um,
1: but do you think you could maybe take a night off from protesting and
2: maybe go out with me? So, take a night off so I could submit to the male patriarchy? I mean we could we could protest
1: if that's something that you wanna to do together.
2: Oh, so you're gonna sublimate your maleness for the sake of me and some condescending gesture so you can try to have sex with me?
1: I would only have sex with you if you wanted that.
2: I like that. That was that was sweet.
1: Yeah. And and I know that you like movies and I was thinking of us going to you know, the Arcline Cinema on 3rd?
2: I have to ask my mom. She was, uh... She was molested by your father in high school. Um, That's the thing about living in a small town like this.
1: My dad's never brought that up, Mm. but... when when you think you would
2: get an answer from my mom yeah for the for the date i don't think my mom is going to want me to go on a date with you after what happened with your father oh right right do you think you, you could ask, you could ask her and i'll ask her hold yeah. on a second Wait, hey, do you have a... What the hell is that? It's a... Uh, it's a cell phone. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mom? Yeah, it's Marilyn.
0: How is he talking to his mom right now?
2: He? <laughs> How is she? Pronoun me, I, had something, pronoun I use. Had, something, had something in my throat. How, is she? How um, is she talking to her mom right now? You know Jeremiah... He's the one, his fa- It's Dylan. Dylan. His father is, uh, Dick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alright, I'm sorry. Alright, stop crying. Mom, stop crying. I'm not gonna go. Okay. I don't think it can happen. Okay, in my defense, you didn't really ask a question. You just brought up- (laughs) Well, with cell phones, you don't have to. Oh, yeah, they know they, they know they know what you're gonna say do you do you
1: have any other things on you that I've never seen before?
2: um, a penis <laughs> you're right,
1: my dad says I don't have a big enough one yet
2: oh, yeah, well, I can make it bigger.
1: you can mm-hmm, with what? With these, whoa, whoa! The way you scratch those things makes me go whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, one's indented. Are you? Those are you, that's like nipples or like clickers, like pins.
2: No, I'm giving you the thumbs up. Oh, yeah. Like the hitchhikers, like yeah, yeah. Yo, can I can I grab them? Yeah, you can grab them, like Mrs. Fitzsimmons. Remember at the beginning of the podcast, you were saying this is my I, wife? I'm Dylan. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke the scene. I broke the scene! Who are you talking I, to? I forgot that we were in an improv for a second, and I thought we were in your garage <laughs> with wigs on. Oh. <laughs> I I just got my UCB card revoked. I'm
1: sorry. Are we not in a garage wearing wigs right now?
2: <laughs> the worst improviser. I was in an improv troupe in college, and I was the worst. I was the worst.
1: Were you the uh, Were you the guy who would? Um, who somebody would be like? Uh, all right, so, oh, there's sand everywhere on my blanket at this beach. And then you go, we're not at the beach. We're at the airport. Yeah, that was pretty much me. And then they're trying to scramble like, yeah, Yeah. right. um." yeah. (laughs) They're having like a mental breakdown, trying to justify
2: why. Yeah, just throwing wrenches into the flow of improvs. That's what I did. And then I was like, hey, can I I warm up the crowd with stand-up? And they were like, yeah. And I did that about five times. And then I was like, all right, yeah, I quit. I'm going to just do stand-up.
1: I used to, um, uh, this was back in 2010, I used to host a show with a buddy where uh, we were both stand-ups and we would book improv teams. (laughs) And we would do a stand-up set and then we would do an improv team, then a stand-up set, then an improv team. Okay. And sometimes we'd book three improv teams because we were like, That's a bigger audience. Yeah. So we essentially held captive hundreds of improv teams over the years to watch us work out our material. No shit. And that is how we got stage time on Saturday nights. Wow. Because we were going on the road. But it worked. Yeah. And but here's the thing though. The longer you're in Hollywood, that smaller the pool becomes. Yeah. And I'll have every once in a while somebody run into me that's like, Hey man. They're like, hey, how's it going? They're like, I've seen your stand up. I was like, oh, where'd you see it? They're like, IO West, The Loft. I was like, oh, <laughs> those shows were the worst. Really? It was literally it was he and I doing fifteen to twenty minutes each.
2: Uh-huh. Working
1: out stuff. Yeah. Just trying to get bits going. Yeah. Because we knew that at the other open mics and stuff like that, there wouldn't be any of the comics that we saw there. Uh-huh. So we tried everything that we wrote for the week. Right. So those were some of the roughest shows I've ever done. So yeah. every once in a while i run into people and like, yeah, I've improved a little bit since then.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> the only reason weird. the improv groups were there is so you could get their audience to show up?
1: They were, it was a weird, like kind of a leech system. It was like kind of symbiotic, but it was also like not at the same time because improvisers would be performing for other improvisers like an open mic, but we would book a few improv teams uh, that would be essentially performing for each other. Cause hardly anybody ended up bringing actual audience members. Right. But the thing that was weird about it is we were doing equal time <laughs> to right. the improv teams who had five or six people on them. And then at the, you know, 10 minutes into our sets, they're like, they're thinking how come they're doing as much time as six people yeah
2: right
1: <laughs> and we're like well we it, we book in mm-hmm. you know we're trying to get our time in yeah yeah um i want to ask you a couple quick questions that people sent in and then we'll close it out with sax talk
2: nice can Let's... i take off this
1: wig yeah yeah it's fucking hot as yeah shit. they get
2: they
0: get hot huh
1: this one comes from at fishy beats on instagram Greg needs to tell his favorite Artie Lange story.
2: Oh, my favorite Artie Lange story. Um, all right, they, I did a. Uh, me and Artie used to go on the road together a lot because we. I mean, the, the the history of it is Artie and I were both up for when Jackie the Joke Man left the Howard Stern Show. Artie and I were both brought in along with probably. 30 other comedians to kind of audition to take over his role. Yeah. And so everybody, they started filtering out people and trying people out and eventually it kind of came down to just me and Artie were the finalists for this chair and Artie rightfully won the chair because he's, you know, I'd come in on a Monday and be like, yeah, it was my wife's anniversary and she gave me a hand job and whatever and he'd be like, he'd come in the next day and he'd be like, yeah, I did an eight ball in Vegas with these three hookers, and I fucked them, and I didn't realize they were hookers. I just thought I was having a three way till they gave me the bill the next morning. It's like always better, and so, uh, so then we. But then I would continue to come on the Stern Show a lot, and we would always go on the road together, and uh, and so some guy in West Palm Beach, Florida, started promoting a uh, a tent show. Down. It was We didn't know it was a tent show. We just knew it was a show in Florida, in, in West Palm Beach. And so we show up, and as it gets closer, things start going like horribly wrong. Like, you know, the deposit check is bouncing. And then we find out that they had sold a second show, which Artie hadn't agreed to, and Artie was pretty deep into heroin at that point. He wasn't capable of doing two shows in one night. And we get down there and this historic fucking storm hits. And then we find out it's in a tent in a polo field and that the parking is on the polo field and that half the cars are stuck in the mud of the field. And then we get there and there's leaks in the tent. And there's double the size of the crowd because what they did is they sold all the tickets and they just told everybody to come to the eight o'clock show figuring they would just spread them out outside on the polo field. But now everybody was trying to pack under the tent. And it just, I mean, it just went from worse to worse to worse. And and Artie was not in great shape that night. And then um, the guy wasn't paying us and so we went on stern, and we fucking outed this dude, and we gave out all of his information, and we called the uh, Florida uh, Attorney General, not the Attorney General, the Better Business Bureau, right? And we had the venue completely shut down, destroyed this guy's life, and uh, and I think that's the last time I worked with Artie on the road. Yeah.
1: Did you, did you guys, uh, leading up to it, did you, uh, do you remember like going out to eat or prepping for the show with him or like, uh, or anything specific, uh, about that show other than just like the chaos of.
2: No, at that point, Artie and I, like every time I would do the Howard Stern show, we would go out after the show and we'd go to, there was the Brooklyn diner downstairs from Sirius and we would have, we would have, you know, brunch basically. And then as his drug use got worse, it just all of a sudden he would be making excuses for why he wasn't hanging out. And then you'd work with him on the road and like you literally wouldn't see him. He would just go from his hotel room to the show to like there'd be some weird fucking hangers on and people you didn't know or like and some girls. And then you kind of weren't part of that scene anymore. Yeah. So it was in that, it was in that phase of things. Okay. Huh?
1: That's a crazy gig story. Yeah. Yeah. I've um, never had anything quite like that yeah. before. I had a leak. I did a tent show that did have a leak on the stage. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, you couldn't go on one side of the stage because uh-huh. it was dripping actively yeah. on the stage at the show in Detroit. Yeah. Where it was soaked, where I was like, and I move around a lot on the stage. And I, the first couple minutes of my set was literally me Checking my surroundings to make sure that I didn't take a step or something in a place where I was going to eat it later in the show, or
2: get electrocuted, or get electrocuted yeah, or something. Right.
1: I was like the I was like the first like minute or so. I was like I was like, well, this is not funny, but I'm literally just checking some safety stuff right yeah. now. Like I'm just like surveying like everything so I don't like roll an ankle or something. Yeah. doing a dumb act out. Uh, this is uh this is from the mighty Bugnish. Uh they want me to ask you to reenact the Tampa Dwarf Incident.
2: <laughs> this is maybe the greatest moment of my professional life. And I don't know why I've never really talked about it. Um, I was at the Tampa Bay Improv, which is uh, just a, a shitty club. And um, and it's just filled with rednecks. And I'm on stage, and uh, this fight starts and uh, which you love as a comic there's nothing better than a fucking fight happening and it's just like it's one of those clubs where like you know there's guys in motorcycle jackets with the sleeves cut off sitting next to like some some pretty tough looking Cuban dudes that you wouldn't fuck with like just landmines everywhere people that and and you're kind of like fascinated by them and afraid of them at the same time and this fight starts and so you know I'm going to narrate it because the stage is nice to high. So I'm not worried about anybody hitting me. And I, so I look over to see who it is. And it's two dwarves get into a fist fight. I'm not making this up. This was fucking historic. And they fall aw- away from the tables into the aisle and they're rolling around and the bouncers come and the bouncers are breaking them up, but they're laughing at the same time. And they literally pick the dwarves up like back of the fucking belt, back of the collar Full like classic dwarf tossing position and they carry them out of the club and the place went fucking bananas.
1: Oh, yeah. That's so epic. It was epic. Just as a comedian. Like, it was
2: like Johnny Knoxville had set it up as a prank, right. but it was real.
1: Sometimes we get blessed by the comedy yes, gods. Yes. And that was when all the stars aligned for you that <laughs> night. <laughs> Just when everything is perfect. Yeah.
2: That same club... <laughs> I remember after a show, I talked to a mother and a daughter in the front row and they were, I think Dave Williamson was with me. Do you know Dave? Yeah, I love Dave. And so they the daughter smoked pot and the mother had never smoked pot. Mm-hmm. I got that out of them. And the, 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 daughter, the mother didn't know the daughter ever smoked pot. And so I said, well, maybe you should smoke some pot, but what about after the show? You wanna get high with us in the green room? Cut to after the show, fucking mother is baked daughters baked i don't know if david was but there was a bunch of people in the green room and then the mother started getting kind of flirty with me it was awesome (laughs) florida's like shit that happens in florida there's a reason why it's in the headlines a lot yeah right there's a
1: reason why a lot of the weird stories and you're like where did this happen yeah it's florida
2: florida man something in the water there yeah something in the air yeah last stop for crazy town.
1: It really is. It really is. Um let's see. This is uh we'll do this last one right here. There's a lot of just compliments like people saying Greg rips.
2: Oh, that's nice to hear.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of scene suggestions, but I think that we covered uh
2: We covered my inability <laughs> to do improv? No, no, no. I mean <laughs>
1: I actually loved that improv (laughs) because it was so weird and meta the entire time. Am I a boy? Am I a girl? Mom, I have a cell phone in the 70s. I'm
2: just going counter to everything you say.
1: (laughs) It's fun for me as an improviser because I'm like, all right, all right. How do I get out of this one? (laughs) Greg's trying to paint old Jeremiah in a corner over here. Oh. Cause, really, cause... really, really calling out the garage vibes right now.
2: Well, now he's dismounted oh. the improv entirely. Mm, interesting. Mm. Mm. Oh, he's,
1: he's taking the wig off right now. <laughs> I'm still in the wig. <laughs> I'm still a boy, and he's a man looking at me concerned now. I've gone too deep. I'm leading another life now. What's happening? <laughs> Jeremiah, snap out of it. Who's that? It's great. But where's the girl that I was just talking to? <laughs>
2: but wait, I just came for a podcast. Where where are you trying to take me? <laughs> just two different pages of the same book.
1: Let's get into this final segment. It's called Sax Talk. Oh, Sax Talk. So Greg is gonna share a story of a sexual encounter while I play some sweet, sweet sax along with it. And whenever you're ready, take it away, Greg.
2: There's a friend of mine, Dale. Name has been changed to protect him and his sister. And uh, he was kind of a wealthy guy, wealthy fellow. Parents had a lot of money. And I went over to the house and I'm hanging out with him. It was after school. I was in 10th grade. He was in 10th grade. He had a little sister. She was in 9th grade. We were doing some shots of J.D. from the parents' liquor cabinet. Probably a better scotch than that. Probably a 12... Probably like a Macallan. Wasted on teenagers. We're just trying to get drunk. Started making eyes at his sister. She was making eyes back at me. Rick got uncomfortable. But there was nothing he could do about it at this point because once two people start making eyes at each other, you're out of the picture. She says, Greg, have you seen my room? I said, Phew. I haven't seen it yet. I have a feeling I'm about to get a good look at it. We go upstairs. Rick busies himself playing a video game as we slowly make our way up, our hands finding each other by about the seventh step. Stuffed animals is not what you want to see at this point, but there was a lot of them. Not yet a woman, still a girl. Yeah. Is it wrong? Is it uncouth? Is it a betrayal of my friendship with whatever that kid's name I said he was? Who cares at this point? I was in 10th grade and I had an erection. We sit on her bed. She pulls out an old uh, photo album. Like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We skim through a few cursory photos of her as a child. I say she was cute, we giggle. And now she looks at me. She has braces on. But otherwise they were really nice legs. She puts her head back as if she wanted to be kissed, like a young bird looking for a worm from its mother. And I thought, I got a worm. I got a worm for you. We begin to kiss. Not a gentle, elegant kiss, but a sloppy, like two. Freshwater eels mashed up in a barrel trying to escape. My hand goes under her shirt. Under her bra. Not a lot there. So I go down. We lay back. My hand... Inches its way under her jeans, not even taking the time to unsnap them. Not having the presence, not having the confidence to take it slow, to do it right. I just jam my hand down the front of the pants. My finger goes searching like an anteater in a hill. But I find it. There's a warm hole, it's tight. My finger slides inside and I wiggle it back and forth. Was I trying to turn her on or was I turning myself on? Nobody knew where it started and when it stopped. Something happened and let's just say the encounter was over. It was a mess. I excused myself and I walked home. And about halfway back to my house, I did the classic 10th grade move and I smelled my finger. And I thought one of two things just happened. Either she has the smelliest vagina ever or I just accidentally fingered her in her asshole. Yeah, I was her asshole. Sorry. This is my first time fingering her, girl, and I went in the wrong hole. Yeah.
1: That's some good, innocent love right there.
2: It was. The worst thing is, is I wonder if she even knew that that's not the way it was supposed to go. I mean, probably not. I mean, how old were you two? I was... Early teens? I was 16. She was 15. Yeah, man. 15 and 14, maybe, dare I say? I didn't even know
1: you know, this from that for many years. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it was that. I just had a it baby and my
1: wife told me. Yeah. It's because you did that to me.
2: Right, right.
1: And I was like, from fingering your butt?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's where it starts. That's where it starts.
1: <laughs> Dude, thank you so much uh, for uh, for coming on the show. Yeah, Greg's got an amazing podcast called... Fitzdog Radio. Um, do you want to uh, plug anything else, like your Instagram or any any upcoming dates?
2: Uh, let's see. New Year's Eve, I'm going to be in Distress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and then in January, I'll also be in uh, Portland at Helium and Boston oh. at Laugh Boston mm-hmm. and Lexington, Kentucky. All coming up in the new year. So uh, get some tickets at Fitzdog.com. Listen to Sunday Papers, which I do with Mike Gibbons. You know Mike Gibbons, right? Yeah. So uh, that's it. That's what I'm about. But thanks for having me, man. This is a cool vibe. I love the setup. I enjoyed doing the show. Yeah, brother. Always great to see you. And we'll have to uh, to play some pool soon. Let's play some pool. And I'm going to be checking up on you on chaos.
1: All right. It's a thick one.